I was uh, sharing with you a little bit about David kind of following me around last Sunday. What I didn't tell you is that I was having a conversation in the parking lot with a young man that uh, I'd never met before. I don't know if he's here today, but we were just talking about Jesus, you know, and uh, he was saying to me, he was like, man, this, uh, this whole Jesus thing sounds pretty cool, but I just can't believe it. As we were standing in the parking lot just talking about the gospel, you know, and talking through his doubts and um, just working through that together. And over in the corner of my eye, I see David standing there and he's, you know, anxious to try to try to talk. And I was sharing with this young man about how, you know, Christ can handle your doubts. You know, you you just keep pressing in, keep asking questions. It's okay. Like he's not afraid of your questions. You go exploring the truth. You're going to end up at Jesus, right? So uh, we were talking through all of that. He was like, I, I mean, it sounds good. I just, I can't, I can't believe it. I can't lay down my doubts. And it was right about that moment that David just sort of butts in. He's like, I can't believe more. And he goes, uh, he turns to the guy I'm talking to. He's like, you just gotta believe, man. And uh, so I'm standing there and I'm just like, wow, okay. So here comes David, like, he's like, you just gotta trust Jesus. And he's like, just like I just did. And I'm standing there and I'm turning around, I was like, what? He goes, yeah, man, I've been trying to tell you this whole day. <laughs> and uh, he's like, man, I just gave my life to Christ. And we just celebrated together for a moment. And then David turns to this young man and just begins preaching the gospel to him. And I'm standing there like, this is how it's supposed to be. Jesus captivates our hearts. And then he gets our mouth as well. Right? I was so proud of him. I just walked away like he's got this, you know, like this is awesome. And uh, I was so excited to see what God is at work doing. And uh, Bart, I don't know. I'm getting a lot of feedback, man. If something else is hot up here, you might want to mute it. But here's what I'm saying is that God is at work and uh, it's just a lot of fun uh, to be a part of it. And um, I hope you know that like it's nothing that we can manufacture. You can't pretend and fake a move of the Holy Spirit. It just can't be. It's real. God's up to some things. And I hope your heart is open to what he's doing. Well, David, I want to echo what Stephen said so well, man. We're here for you. We're with you, man. We want to walk this journey of faith. This is uh, not the finish line. It's the starting blocks. That was great truth. So we're excited to walk with you, brother, and learn from Christ together. We're all students of Jesus, okay? So I don't know if you know this or not, but the Lord can totally stop you dead in your tracks. (laughs) Um, He can take you right where you are and just totally transform you. And the truth I hope we see from God's word today is this. Jesus changes everything. If you've never met Jesus like that, you can today. As we open God's word together, we know that these words are the words of our creator and our redeemer. This book is not like every other book. It's unique. It's how we come to know God. So when we open this book together, our our questions are centered on who is our God? Who is Jesus? How, How do we come to know him more fully? So. With that uh, in mind, I encourage you uh, just to stand with me in honor of God's word. We're going to be in Acts chapter 21. We're going to read all of chapter 22. We we stand together to honor this word. It's the Lord's word. And so we honor him. If you remember where we left off, the Apostle Paul has 
determined to go to Jerusalem in spite of all his friends telling him, hey, man, don't go. You don't need to go. It's going to be bad. It's going to be trouble. Well, he determined to go there anyway, even though he knew that trouble awaited him there. He needed to tell his countrymen, his Hebrew brothers, he needed to tell them about the hope and the good news of Jesus. He needed to tell them their systems can't save. They needed to be rescued by a resurrected Lord. So when he got there, in spite of his attempt not to stir up the crowd, you know, he went through a purification thing uh, based on the, the recommendation of the elders, the church in Jerusalem. He went through all that process. He tried not to stir up the crowd, but an angry mob stirred up anyway, mainly because of accusation that he brought a Greek into the temple. But he was also accused of teaching against the Jewish people, against their law and against the holy place, the holy temple. This crowd got so out of control, they began beating Paul and would have killed him. But the Roman tribune, the guards, had him arrested and dragged up to the steps. They were thinking that he was an Egyptian. We'll find out in a moment. But Paul is going to be given an opportunity to speak to the crowd. And that's where we pick up our text Acts chapter 21, let's look at verse 37, and we'll read quickly through all, almost all of chapter 22. Here we go. The word of the Lord. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priests. And the whole council of elders can bear me witness from them. I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward toward Damascus to to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Well, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground and a voice. I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, those who were with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus. And there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, 
a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me, he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said to the Lord, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, up until this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices, the mob, and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful? For you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, Yes. The tribune answers, Well, I bought this citizenship for a large sum of money. Paul said, But I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is your word. We ask now that you reveal yourself to us. Help us to see the truth you want us to see. Open our hearts to respond as you'd have us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I wonder, have have you ever said, that's never going to happen to me? Have you ever said that? Uh, The Lord has a way of humbling us, doesn't he? Um, Before we had children, shopping was pleasant. Um, We would actually go to a store and browse around looking at things, not knowing what we were going to go home with. We just went to look. If I remember, I think this is called shopping. Well, now we don't do that. We get in, we get the stuff, we get out as quickly as we possibly can. Um, I remember 
my BC days before children, uh, going to a store and seeing uh, a large family, you know, kids hanging out of the shopping cart, one kid screaming, another one's like crying for another toy. Um, mommy's plugging passies and saying, you can't have that again, you know, put that down. One kid's hanging over the front of the cart, you know, the, the whole scene. I remember walking with my wife, pleasantly shopping, <laughs> observing this chaos and saying, that will never happen to me. <laughs> if you don't know, we have five children. And uh, yes, I know that's a lot. And yes, we have figured out what causes that. Um, we actually love the crazy of a big family. It's a lot of fun, uh, but it is crazy. And I will say, um, when we're out shopping now, or when, when my wife is out shopping now, there's a distinct difference between when mom is out with all the kids versus when dad is out with all the kids. I've just observed this on my own. When, uh, when mom is out with a cart full of kids and there's chaos and there's, uh, the kids are crazy, um, screaming, babies crying, somebody wants a toy, this or that, uh, people look at mom and they think, can't that woman get those kids under control? <laughs> That's the way they look to her, right? When dad is out with all the kids, which happens rarely, people usually offer to help. Some nice lady comes over and says, could I hold a baby for you, sir? Someone might even say, wow, aren't you super dad? <laughs> it's honestly ridiculous. So on behalf of all the super dads out there, let me just say you moms are the real heroes. And we all know it. So happy Mother's Day. But um, the point I'm making, there is a point to the story. Is we probably all said, that'll never happen to me. That'll never happen to me. And I wonder if Saul, who we're reading about now as the Apostle Paul, at some point in his journey, you know, while he was the rising star, a, a, a Pharisee studying to become a great teacher under the teacher Gamaliel, while he was working his way up the ladder in Jewish authority, I wonder if he looked and saw people being baptized in the name of Jesus. I wonder if he saw them totally changed by Christ. Radical transformation. He'd watched them turn from hoping in the law to now happy in Jesus. He hated the way, as they often called it, the way of Jesus. He hated it. He must have looked at these people and said, that will never happen to me. And yet, the Lord Jesus had a different plan. In our text today, we pick up about 27 years after the moment that Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's no longer the punisher, but the one being punished for the name of Jesus. 
But in the midst of this text where he's come back into Jerusalem, he's planning to tell, tell the people about who Christ really is. Chaos erupts and he becomes the victim of a vicious mob. And yet Paul stays calm. It's pretty amazing, honestly. This is obviously not his first rodeo with a punishing crowd or with false accusation. He speaks to the Roman tribune in Greek. Uh, He says, may I speak to you? (laughs) Bloody face. He's beaten to a pulp almost within an inch of his life. And he turns, may I speak with you, sir? He's so calm. It's. It's confusing, actually. But this tribune looks to Paul. He's seeing that he's not a crazed rioter, but a reasonable man. The tribune actually permits Paul to speak to the crowd. And Paul, who just spoke in Greek, turns to the crowd and speaks in Hebrew. Validating the tribune's assumptions. This is not a crazy man. He's actually well-educated, smart, wise, under control. Wow. So Paul turns to the crowd that was just about to kill him. And in their own language, he begins his defense. That's how Acts 22, 1 begins. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense. Now, this word defense is uh, the word in Greek, apologia. It's where we get our word for apologetics. So actually what Paul is doing here is he's not giving a defense of his own innocence. Rather, he has come to explain his radical faith in Jesus and why it's valid. Paul doesn't bother with turning to attack his accusers. He doesn't bother with correcting their false claims. He doesn't bother to better his reputation. No, Paul has one singular aim to point These people to Jesus as the righteous one and the resurrected king of all peoples. This is the gospel. And the way that Paul decides to do this is to tell his own story. How his life was radically changed in one encounter with Jesus. Paul is looking at this crowd and he's saying to them, essentially, Jesus changes everything. Paul went from being a student of Gamaliel. That would have been high honor to becoming a student of Jesus. He went from being zealous for the law to being zealous for grace. He was an attacker of the church and now he's the architect of the church. He's from murderer to missionary, from persecutor to preacher and on and on we could go. He's trying to stand before the people and say, this is who I was. I was one way to quote the chosen. And now I'm another. And what happened in between is Jesus. Do you know that your story can be just that powerful? If it's true. Have you really been changed by Jesus? Who have you told lately? About how Jesus radically changed everything for you. Would your life validate the story? 
Well, there's a reason that Paul's testimony is told three times in this book. We read it in Acts chapter 9. We're reading it again in chapter 22. And we'll, we'll do it again in chapter 26. The story of radical change in a person is compelling. It's so compelling. Jesus changes us. Amen? I really want to rack your brain and get you to think about who you were, Christian. Who you were. What were the things that defined you, that made you, that shaped your character? If people had to sum you up in one word or a phrase or a sentence, if they had to just really summarize your person before Christ, what would they have said? And what would they say now? Jesus changes us. If your life has not been changed by Christ, is it possible that you've been around him? You've seen some of what he does, but you've never really come to know him personally. As we read through the Bible, we see lots of people who thought Jesus was real. They thought he was special. They went to him for healing or for help, but never really surrendered their life to him as Lord. Lots of people like that. It is possible to believe Jesus is real, to know lots of information about him and still have no relationship with him. Did you know that's possible? Here's the thing. Salvation is not about information. It's about transformation. And when Jesus comes in, he really does change everything. So as Paul's telling his story, he loves his fellow Hebrews and he longs for them to believe. So he's going to tell them who Jesus really is through his story, through his own personal story. So what I want us to do, if you have your notes, we're going to walk through at least three big truths of who Jesus is through the lens of Paul's own story. The first truth about Jesus is that he is the resurrected king, the resurrected king. Listen, Paul is talking to a man he thought to be dead, right? Jesus of Nazareth. That's how Jesus identified himself. Paul said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus of Nazareth. You, you imagine the somersaults must have gone on in his head. Wait a minute. I saw you die. I saw you buried. What? The reality of Jesus as the resurrected king is that he defeated death. He defeated death. Paul had heard the rumors of a resurrection, but as a Pharisee, he probably helped to bury that story with the idea that the disciples stole his body. That's the reason Jesus' body is not in the tomb. The disciples must have stolen it so they could keep his saga alive. Well, Jesus was a remarkable man, Paul might have said, but now he's dead. All his claims to be the Messiah died with him. He was thought to be the one, right? But death closed the book on that chapter until Jesus resurrected. Do you remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? They're leaving Jerusalem after the 
tragic crucifixion of the one they thought to be the Messiah. And they're walking down the road. They're leaving. They're just so depressed and distraught. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. I don't know how that happened and how they didn't see it. But Jesus just kind of, you know, um, I have like a Star Trek thing in my head happening right now. But he just sort of beamed me up type of like kind of shows up and he walks up beside them and he starts talking. You know, this is Jesus who was just crucified. These guys are walking away to, to Emmaus and they're, they're just talking about how they're so disappointed. And Jesus is like, why are you guys discouraged? What's going on? I love Jesus doing this. Like he's just so funny in the way he you know, disciples people toward faith. What's happening? And they're like, where have you been? Have you been under a rock? You don't know what happened in Jerusalem? They're talking to Jesus, you know. And uh, he's like, no, I must have missed it. What happened? <laughs> yeah, I read this story. It's fantastic. <laughs> So they begin to tell Jesus about the tragic death of the one they believed was the Messiah. And he's like, wow, that must be terrible. And the Bible tells, Luke tells us how Jesus began with the Old Testament, teaching these disciples how the real Messiah must suffer to save. But he wouldn't come for the first time riding on a war horse, but rather on a humble donkey. And he wouldn't come to bring victory as a conqueror, but as a suffering servant. And Jesus is teaching them about himself all through the Old Testament. They finally get to a man, they sit down to have a meal, and he breaks bread with them. And in that moment, they're like, Jesus opened their eyes to see that it's Jesus. And a long walk to Emmaus in defeat turned into a really fast run back in victory. These brothers' eyes were opened that their defeated Lord was actually a conquering king. Jesus revealed himself to them, just like he did to Saul. And in a moment, all of Saul's doubts were put to rest because Jesus defeated death. But this resurrected king doesn't just defeat death, he defends his own. The context of what's happening in Paul's story here is Paul's actually on his way. Saul is on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, followers of the way. But Jesus interrupts him because he defends his own. This living Lord Jesus does not sit back while his people are mistreated and persecuted. No, he's compassionate, he's loving, he's caring, and he is a great shepherd. He identifies so closely with his followers. I don't know if you caught this, but their suffering is his suffering. Jesus says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not them, me. Jesus is a shepherd who loves his sheep so much. That their pain is his pain. Let me tell you something. Jesus has the power to protect like no one else. Listen, Jesus is the shepherd who turns wolves into sheep. This wolf is going to devour the sheep. And Jesus plays a little game of Red Rover, Red Rover. 
send Saul right over. And Saul, the great enemy of the gospel, is transformed into a great preacher of the gospel. And this takes us to our third reality about the resurrected king. He defeated death, he defends his own, and he delivers his enemies. Now that's crazy, right? A king destroys his enemies. But not our king. He delivers his enemies. Paul is telling his brothers, his Hebrew brothers, he's saying, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Saul is a vicious enemy of the church. But Jesus is so patient, his grace so powerful that he doesn't just destroy his enemies, he delivers them. Saul was sent by the high priest and council of the elders with letters to go and persecute the church. But when Saul met Jesus, he was sent by the true high priest to go plant and pastor churches and write letters to them. This is the transforming power of the Lord Jesus. I love what Paul said to Timothy about his own salvation. He explains why. Jesus rescued him in first Timothy one. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Listen to this, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor and insolent opponent and enemy. But I received mercy Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect Patience. Mm. He delivers his enemies. Paul quickly recognizes that Jesus has all and supreme authority. You know, he'd been he'd been sent on a mission to Damascus. But when he met the resurrected king, none of that mattered anymore. He had new marching orders and a new king. Jesus is the resurrected king. That's his message. Paul's message to his brothers, his Hebrew brothers. Secondly, Jesus is the righteous one. He's the righteous one. As Paul is recounting his experience with Jesus, he tells of when Ananias led him to call out to Jesus for salvation, to be baptized. Ananias told him, the God of our fathers appointed you to know this, know his will and to see the righteous one. And to hear a voice from his mouth. Jesus is the righteous one. What does that title indicate? Well, on the surface, it means there's only one person truly righteous. Right? Righteous one. His name is Jesus. But this title is actually reserved for the Hebrew Messiah. 
So all through the Old Testament, I just want to show you one example. In Isaiah 53, we get the the details of the suffering servant. The the Messiah that's going to come and rescue and redeem his people. You're probably familiar with verses 4 through 6. Where the prophet says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You're probably familiar with those verses, right? Powerful, beautiful. The suffering Lord in our place. But listen to verse 11. The righteous one. Verse 11, same chapter. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. What's the work of the righteous one? It is to make many accounted as righteous. How does he do that? By bearing their iniquities. And look, church, this is great news, right? This is the best news ever. The righteous one, Jesus, took your sin and my sin to his cross. He came in your place and my place. The righteous one. Peter's going to use this title in Acts chapter 3, verse 14, when he talks about Jesus, the righteous one, being denied while Barabbas is delivered. You remember the story? Jesus on trial with Pilate. And Pilate, he really would like to be rid of this whole trial. You know, he's feeling the the political pressure. And so he's like, hey, you know, what if we bring out Barabbas, this awful, evil guy, and give the people an option? Which of these men, the righteous one or Barabbas, would you like to set free? And Peter tells in Acts 3.14, he says, you denied the righteous one and delivered You say, well, why does that matter? Because it's the gospel. Listen, here's the good news of the gospel right there. The righteous Jesus suffers while rebellious murdering Barabbas is set free. And here's how that relates to you and me. The righteous Jesus suffers while you and me are set free. It's the good news of the gospel. And Paul is telling the Jews, he's saying he is the righteous one who suffers in your place. I love what John says in 1 John 2, 1. He says, when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, the righteous. Isn't that good? God came to us in Jesus. The only way we get to God is through Jesus, the righteous. The third truth that Paul Explains to them is that Jesus is the redeemer of all peoples. He's the resurrected king, the righteous one and the redeemer of all peoples. Now, Paul's defense up to this up to this point, they've been listening. They've they've gotten really, really quiet. But up to this point, and it's at this point where his whole defense is 
cut short with one final truth about Jesus. And here's the truth. He's not just the redeemer for Hebrews, but for all people. That word, the word Gentile in the text, it stirred up the mob again so much that that was the end of his defense. That was the end of it. They got so furious, so angry. They were throwing dirt up in the air, like, you know, pulling their clothes off and throwing their clothes. This is an angry, out of control mob. But in Acts 22, verse 21, the word that Paul uses is actually the word ethnos in Greek. So while we read it, we read the word to say Gentiles, what he means is all ethnicities, that this gospel is for all peoples everywhere. It's not just for us Jews. The king that God, the Messiah that God has been sending is not just for us Jews, it's for all ethnicities. Well, it was at this word that uh, they began to pitch a fit. They actually scream out, away with this man. Away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. So the crowd at this word is issuing a death sentence to Paul. Why? Prejudice. A unique kind of prejudice. It's not the prejudice that looks at one particular kind of person and says, well, that kind of person is bad. It's a kind of prejudice that says... This kind of person is good. And all of them are bad. The Hebrew people at this point thought of themselves as the chosen people of Israel, right? The chosen people of Israel. But the truth is they had missed the purpose behind God's blessing in choosing them. Now listen, this applies to us directly, but listen. All the way back to Abraham's call in Genesis chapter 12, when God is calling out the people of Israel, Genesis 12, 2 and 3, listen to God's promise to Abraham. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. Now listen to this last bit. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. They'd missed it. They'd gotten so caught up in being the chosen people of God that they had missed the purpose behind their choosing. God didn't choose them because they were special. God chose them to, to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. They missed it. They thought their choosing was to exclude the peoples of the earth. And so they harbored such prejudice and hatred for anyone not a Jew. But the Lord Jesus steps in and he says, no more. I'm calling you to be a blessing to all the nations. And that's why I've come. Now they missed it. Have we? Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of, say it with me, all Nations. You know what that word is? Pantata ethne. Same word. All the peoples. Red and yellow, black and white. I sing to my children. Jesus loves the little children of the world. 
There is no people to whom we should not go with the gospel. There is no people that should not feel and be welcomed in this place and with this body and in this family. We've been learning through the book of Acts that our God and His grace makes no distinctions, right? No distinctions. And we as a people must be a people who center on the grace of our God, not on any other distinction of the humankind. Because our God is a God who saves all the people. So our text today ends with yet another proof that Jesus is truly in control. The Jews once again reject the gospel. God uses Paul's Roman citizenship to protect him. And ultimately to send him to Rome, we'll find out. The gospel is continuing to spread. I want to ask two quick questions and give you some answers. You ready? How is all of this good news? When we read the Bible, we ought to read to discover God. Who is our God? We ought to be able to say, how is this good news? And then, what should we do? So let's walk through those last two questions quickly. How is this good news? Well, first, Jesus saves his enemies. You know how that's good news? Paul was an enemy. I was an enemy. You were an enemy. But Jesus changes everything. Maybe today you're here or you're listening online and you have, you're still dead in your sins. You've yet to repent and trust in Christ. Well, if you do that today, you will be made alive. And you'll no longer be an enemy of God, but a son or daughter of God. Welcomed into his family. So let me say what Ananias said to Paul. What are you waiting for? Call on Jesus. Wash away your sins. Be baptized. For some of you today, that's for you. Surrender to Jesus. Give him your whole life. How is it good news? Secondly, Jesus shepherds his sheep. He's sovereign so we can stay calm, not be afraid. There's no need to panic or be easily offended. Jesus is watching over us. I love how Paul interacts in this moment. He, he keeps his cool. He's just totally under control because he knows that Jesus is under. He has it all under his control. He had learned that Christ rules over all. And when we get bent out of shape is when we lose sight of God's control. Somebody asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that's only ever happened once in all of human history. And he volunteered. Jesus is the righteous one. And he signed up to absorb the wrath of God that you and I deserve. It's good news because Jesus is sending his own to the nations. All ethnicities. Thank God Jesus sent Paul to the Gentiles. You know why? Because it's ultimately through Paul's efforts that the gospel made it to you and me. Now that message is intended to go through us, to change all the peoples with no distinctions, no prejudices. The gospel came to us and goes through us to every ethnicity on the planet. That's the mission. We're not just supposed to be recipients of his blessings, but conduits of it. What do I do? What do we do from here? Well, first, surrender. 
Don't just know facts about Jesus. It's not about information. It's about transformation. Give him control of your life. Trust him and be changed by him. Secondly, speak. Speak. What is Paul doing right here? He's speaking. He's telling you and I. We are meant to go and tell others about Jesus. It's relatively easy to talk about the people that we love and admire the most. So love him. Admire him. Learn from him. Tell others about Jesus. Speak. Thirdly, send and go. Jesus sends us just as the Father sent him. We go and we send one another. Some of us will stay and pray and some will go and pray. But all of us as followers of Jesus, we are on the mission of fishing for men and women. This is the truth. Amen. Are we going to live it out today? Are we going to surrender to Christ? Are we going to speak for Christ? Are we going to send others and ourselves for his glory among all the nations?